You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 2B. I'm Joshua Jonah Fishman, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and Aaron Fishman. Today's J-Spot is devoted to discussion of the Sacramento Kings. On Wednesday, our guest was the incomparable CSN Kings insider, James Hamm. And we are going to pick up right where he left off. So let's talk about the playoffs. The Kings have missed the playoffs nine seasons in a row. But this offseason, the organization added several talented players. I'm going to go to Lauren first. What do you think the Kings' chances are of making the playoffs this season? I think James sold me on the Kings having a pretty good chance of making the playoffs. If you just run through the teams in the West, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but I think you have the top six spots locked up by those elite teams, Memphis, Thunder, Golden State, Houston, Clippers, Spurs, but those last two playoff spots are up for grabs, in my belief, between the Jazz, Pelicans, and Kings. And the Pelicans has been have been hit by a lot of injuries. Tyreek's out until Christmas, probably. Ashik is out for a while. Drew Holiday's on a minutes restriction. So I think they the Pelicans could be on the outside looking in, and the Kings could sneak in at eight. And James Ham was pretty bullish on the Kings making the playoffs. It seems like Lauren is cautiously optimistic. What are your thoughts on the situation? I'm a little more um, skeptical just because they've had years of dysfunction. They just started out under George Carl. He's only been with the team 30 games and uh, was hired late last season. They've been through so many coaches. DeMarcus Cousins is a handful to deal with. And I'm not trying to only blame DeMarcus Cousins. He's been through so many coaches. Keith Smart was kind of an enabler for him. He never really respected Paul Westfall. Mike Malone and him really seemed to click, and then management fired Mike Malone early into the season, and now he's had some differences with George Carl. So I think that uh, things could go south in a hurry. But I do agree with, with Lauren and also James Hamm on the point that the bottom of the West is wide open. The Pelicans do have some injury issues, and they have a new head coach in Alvin Gentry. Utah Jazz, they're still very young. I think the Suns also should be in that conversation of uh, potentially making the playoffs with one of those late spots. So I do think they have a chance, but I think it will also be difficult. They haven't made the playoffs nine straight seasons for a reason. There's clearly dysfunction there, and now you're adding Rondo, another strong personality, into the fold. But just to finish up, their defense is a key issue. And James Hamm was very confident in Willie Cauley-Stein's ability excuse me, to transform the defense. And I think that it's something that has been years in the making, this lack of defensive intensity. I think Kufos and Willie Cauley-Stein will individually help the defense, but I don't think there'll be enough to transform it into a top-half defense in the league. 
And that could be a problem in this deep West if you can't defend. It will certainly be interesting to see if the Kings can defend and if they do, if they sneak into the playoffs this season. I want to talk about Ben McLemore. We didn't get a chance to talk about him with James, unfortunately, due to time constraints. But this offseason, Ben Ben McLemore's fourth-year option was picked up. So he has two more seasons with the team. Could Marco Bellinelli's presence hamper the development of McLemore after a strong sophomore campaign? I'm going to hit Aaron first with this one. That's a great question. I think it really can. And it's not only Marco Bellinelli. It's also the presence of Darren Collison coming off the bench and very likely getting a lot of minutes with Rondo on the floor as that two guard spotting up shooting and just being a scorer in that lineup alongside Rondo. So that's another factor that could cut into Ben McLemore's minutes. And it's really a shame because his second season was phenomenal. Phenomenal might be a slight exaggeration. He averaged 12 points per game but was way more accurate from the field and beyond the three-point line. So it's sad to see that his minutes might be dwindling. A couple of issues for him, even though he did manage to improve upon those last season, he still doesn't get to the line enough. And we know he's a great shooter. He's an 80% free throw shooter at least. So if he can get to the line more, that would really improve his game. That's something even last year he wasn't able to do. And a lot of that's because of his dribbling ability. He's not comfortable handling the ball and attacking. And because of that lack of comfortability, he stays kind of around the edges. And another thing um, that's troubling is he's not really that good at moving off the ball. For a great three-point shooter, he's going to need to improve upon that. He was talking about watching Rip Hamilton footage over the offseason. He's going to need to do more of that and implement that. And also, he doesn't get assists. So it helps that he'll be playing alongside Rondo, who's known for his passing ability. But McLemore um, not really setting up his teammates, especially Rudy Gay and DeMarcus Cousins, that are hungry for the ball. That could spell disaster. That's a good point you bring up, Aaron, about McLemore's struggles moving without the ball. Someone who actually could help a lot in that area is Marco Bellinelli, who some say is his competition. Yep. But I see as possibly a mentor in that area because Marco is one of the best in the NBA at moving without him. Yeah, just to um, expand upon that before we move on, I just want to say that that's an excellent point. And McLemore was quoted in the last week as saying that he's been utilizing Bellinelli and Rondo too because Rondo is a floor general and really knows everything that's going on around him. So he's been using those two guys to get more insight into how he can improve. And that's always great when you hear a young player seeking advice from his veterans. I want to go to another player who's kind of been lost in the shuffle this offseason, Rudy Gay. Once considered one of the best scorers in the NBA, maybe he still is. Barring a trade or something else unforeseen, he's going to be a king for at least the next two seasons. And with Gay at 29 years old and possibly nearing the end of his prime, do you think there's any risk of him reverting back to the inefficient Raptors player he was, Lauren? Or does the situation in Sacramento bode well for his continued efficiency? I think the perception of Rudy Gay as an inefficient volume shooter type of player is a little bit overstated. He had that type of trouble at near the end of the, his career near the end of his time with the Grizzlies and also while he was with the Raptors. But you also have to look at his role on those teams, 
who he was playing with, the light, the type of players he was playing with, and noticed that he was really relied upon to provide a lot of the scoring on those teams. Remember, at that time, Marcus Sol wasn't the type of offensive player that we see now. Mike Conley, people were still questioning his ability to be like a uh, mid-to-top tier point guard in this league. Since joining the Kings, we saw last season he greatly improved his efficiency. And I think a lot of that has to do with he's playing alongside DeMarcus Cousins now, who's a guy who you can give the ball and count on to get points almost every time. So there's just a decreased reliance on Rudy Gay having the pressure on him to score nearly every time down the floor and not have other options to look for. That's a good point, Lauren. Do you think that the decreased pressure he's going to be under should help him even improve further this season? I think he could at least stay at the same level, especially uh, considering that he's going to be playing with Rajon Rondo now, who always likes to hit players in their rhythm, who understands how to run an offense a little bit better as a pure point guard, in my opinion, than Darren Collison. And I just want to add one thing really quickly. From 2013-14, Rudy Gay's Raptors stats to last season's stats with the Kings, Rudy Gay's taking 2.2 fewer shots per game, and he's also attempting almost six free throws per game, which is one more than he was with the Raptors. So he's attacking the basket more, and he's had smarter shot selection. And how has his percentage changed? It's increased by a significant um, margin. It's 46%, and it was 39% with the Raptors. Wow, that's a huge improvement there. I want to go to Aaron first on this next topic. This offseason, the Kings have added three NBA Finals winners. Rondo won with the Celtics. Karan Butler's won with the Miami Heat. And Marco Bellinelli won with the Spurs. What do you think the value is of bringing in players with championship pedigrees? Or do you think that the value is overstated or exaggerated um, because obviously each championship comes with a uniquely built team and there's no way to, to definitively measure each player's impact, individual impact? Aaron? Did we forget James Anderson? No, he did not win with the Spurs. Oh, okay. And Cron Butler won with the Mavericks, but I think he was injured, so... We won't count that one. Yeah, it, it's important. It's definitely he, important. He, did, he also won with the Heat. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I just wanted to be clear on that. So it's important and overstated. I think that a guy like Rondo understands what a team needs to be successful in this league, but it's not the be-all, end-all of winning to have players with that championship pedigree. There are young teams like um, the Golden State Warriors, for example, that they, I don't know if they had anyone on their roster that had previously won a championship. So a lot of times you have to start somewhere, and teams win championships without having one that has that anyone that has that experience. But it'll definitely be a stabilizing force for a young guy in uh, DeMarcus Cousins that's never even seen the playoffs. We're not even talking about NBA Finals. His teams have never made the playoffs. So these guys, Rondo, Bellinelli, Karan Butler specifically – can really be a positive influence. And it doesn't even matter if Karan Butler doesn't play that much. I don't think he's going to play more than 
15 or 16 minutes per game. I could be wrong about that, but his value in the locker room and, and on that ba- bench will be immense. Lauren, what do you think? I agree. Well, to some extent, I I think the value of championship players is a little bit overstated, but you do need to bring in veterans who have a history of winning and know what it's like to be on winning teams. I think there is something to be said about being a player on a team with a history of losing. If you get too used to that, you might lose your drive, not compete every game, game in and game out. So bringing in these players, Rondo, Karan Butler, Marco Bellinelli, etc., who have been on successful teams, who've made the playoffs perennially, I think that'll definitely be a good influence to the young players like Macklemore, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, etc. And that'll do it for today's J-Spot segment. Next up, we're going to have the AA Ron block where we discuss the new head coach. But first, enjoy this musical break. This is Aaron Fishman here. The AA Ron Block is going to talk about coaches this week. For the third straight season, head coaching turnover has decreased, actually. 14 new head coaches began two seasons ago. Last season, there were nine new ones. Now, this season, there's seven new ones. We're actually going to include George Carl in that count because he was not the head coach beginning of last season, and he only has 30 games under his belt. So just as a quick refresher, the new coaches are Fred Hoiberg for the Bulls, Scott Skiles in Orlando, Billy Donovan in OKC, Alvin Gentry with the Brow in New Orleans, Michael Malone in Denver, Sam Mitchell is taking over for Flip Saunders, who has cancer in Minnesota and is still with the front office, George Carl taking over in Sacramento for Malone and Tyrone Corbin. So now that we have the list going, I want to go first to Lauren. Among that group, who faces the most pressure to win now? Out of those seven, I would say George Carl has the most pressure to win now. The Kings management has shown that they have a very short leech with coaches, firing Mike Malone even in a relatively good time last year, and Tyrone Corbin after only not that many games. George Carl, I think if the Kings don't get off to the good start, especially with the type of players they have, discontent could be brewing in that organization and he could find himself on the outside. That's an interesting point, definitely. Joshua, are you going that route or are you going to um, go another direction here? I'm going another direction. My pick is Billy Donovan in OKC. He's replacing Scott Brooks, who is a very popular coach with the players. And he did pretty well without having Kevin Durant for for almost all of the season. I think Billy Donovan needs to win this season because Kevin Durant just might leave. A lot of rumors about him going back home to play for the Wizards. He could go anywhere he wants, really. And without Durant, Westbrook will not be happy. And this team is, is one of the best in the league just with those two guys. And they have Ennis Cantor. And I don't know how people feel about Dion Waiters in this room, but 
he scores. The, um, mm-hmm. They have some scores on that team. Um, they're close to winning a championship. Billy Donovan really needs to win now. There's going to be a ton of pressure on him. Excellent points raised by both of you guys. I think Billy Donovan is my pick as well with Oklahoma City. And Michael Malone, not a bad, uh, excuse me, um, George Carl, not a bad pick, Lauren. Also, Fred Hoiberg, I think, for the Bulls is someone that maybe could have been mentioned with all that talent on that deep Chicago roster and their window possibly closing as um, Derrick Rose isn't the spring chicken he once was and all those injuries and with Pau Gasol continuing to age. But who inherits the best team? Are those the same answers for you guys or, or different? I would, I would actually say that Hoiberg inherits the best team if you define best as deepest because the Chicago Bulls have so much depth. The Thunder don't necessarily. Um, I didn't mention Serge Ibaka. He's another valuable player on that team. But if you look at their bench, it's nowhere near as strong as the Chicago Bulls bench. They have a ton of big guys who are very good that that's going to be challenging for Hoiberg to manage minutes Doug McDermott's going to play a lot more Miritich who is the runner-up um, to rookie of the year Andrew Wiggins last season Pau Gasol is there still Joe Kim Noah Taj Gibson a great bench player um, they just have so many good players and I'm, I haven't even talked about their guards and small forwards yeah Lauren, who do you think is the best, inheriting the best team? I think the Thunder are the best team of this group, and I don't even think it's that close. Whenever you have two of the top five players in the NBA, arguably, and Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, I don't think it matters that much how much deeper your team gets. In that situation, you're going to have, if healthy, a championship-caliber team. Adding yeah. on to that, you have... As you said, Ibaka is also one of the top power forwards in the game, at least defensively. Ennis Cantor is a beast on offense. He's completely awful on defense, but I think the Thunder are much better than any other team on this list. Just as a quick follow-up to each of you, before we move on to who inherits the worst team, I'm curious, Fred Hoiberg and Billy Donovan both have never coached at the NBA level and um, according to both of you guys, they're inheriting very good teams. Do you think that could be a problem for either of them that they've never coached at the NBA level? Billy Donovan particularly was at the University of Florida for nearly 20 years. That's a long time. Lauren, we'll start with you. I think it's a cause for worry, but I don't think uh, NBA pedigree is that necessary to become a head coach. Last season, we saw Brad Stevens come in as the coach of the Celtics, and Even in his rookie season, he was one of the best coaches in the NBA. Same with Steve Kerr. He's never coached in the NBA before, and he led the Warriors to a championship. David Blatt also, to add on to that, he took his team to the NBA Finals. No NBA head head coaching experience. Joshua, do you agree basically with what Lauren just said? I think it's going to be a bigger problem for Billy Donovan than Fred Hoiberg. Billy Donovan got kind of skittish when he was he was supposed to coach the Orlando Magic um several years ago. I'm not saying that that he's he's going to be afraid or nervous, but he also is inheriting a team with some strong personalities. 
Kevin Durant, as much as he used to have the reputation for being a quiet guy who just does what he's supposed to, we know that that he can get upset. And when he gets upset, it's not fun for anyone. And the same for Russell Westbrook. So he has egos to manage. He needs to make sure that everyone's happy. Yeah, uh, Scott Brooks was really good with the players. He, he has a tough act to follow. We'll keep tabs on these guys. It's definitely an interesting phenomenon seeing guys jump into the NBA head coaching game for the first time. We're just a little low on time, but I have to ask, who inherits the worst team? And, and just to, as a quick follow-up, does that coach get more patience from ownership as a result? Joshua, I'm going to you first. I'm going to say Michael Malone of the Nuggets inherits the worst team. I You could say Sam Mitchell in Minnesota, Minneapolis, but... Um, I like the talent on that squad. The the Nuggets just have no depth. They have some some good, exciting starters. They're going to be fun to watch for sure. They have Emmanuel Moutier, who was mentioned on the podcast as someone the Kings were initially looking at. You have Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Fareed, Danilo Gallinari. Those guys are good, but I think the Nuggets could be one of the worst teams in the league. I think that they will be way more patient. Um, then the Kings were with Malone. No one ex- really expects Denver to be good fast, quickly. So um, I think he will have some rope, and he'll be okay to struggle initially. What do you think, Lauren? I think the Timberwolves are worth, are the worst team of this bunch. I know they have a lot of promising young players in Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, Zach Levine, maybe. Ricky but... Rubio, kind of young still. Yeah, if Rifki Rubio can put together another healthy season. Yeah. Um, but I think they're a, still a couple of years away from being able to win games, even uh, even maybe like 20 to 30 games. As to whether Sam Mitchell will get a little bit more rope from management, I don't think he's going to be expected to contend for the playoffs or anything. So... It doesn't matter that much if he wins wins now. So in that sense, yes. But what really matters for this team is how, how well those young guys will be developing earlier on in the season. And if Andrew Wiggins doesn't blossom into the superstar, he we know he can be. The onus on that is going to be on Sam Mitchell. And yeah they'll try to find someone who's a little bit better with player development. Definitely. He, he will be held accountable if, if something happens with Wiggins' development. So that's the end of the AA Ron block. It was a lot of fun, as usual, talking with you guys. We'll be back with more fun stuff on Lauren's segment, LLC Incorporated, after the break. To the third segment of our show. This is LLC Incorporated. So the annual NBA GM survey came out this week. For the listeners who don't know about it, basically the idea is all the NBA GMs are given a variety of questions to answer, such as who's the best shooter in, in the NBA, who's the most athletic player, who would you want to build a franchise around, etc. We'll link to it in the show notes. In honor of that, I thought we could answer a few questions of our own, but these will be a little bit different. Are you guys ready? 
Yep, I'm ready. First question. If you could have a dinner party with one NBA team or organization, which would it be and why? And you guys can't say the Clippers because I know you're a fan. Joshua? (laughs) I'm going to go with the Portland Trailblazers. My guy, CJ McCollum, he's going to be sitting next to me. He's a writer for Derek Jeter's The Players' Tribune. Very fascinating guy. Um, I love his interviews. We also got Damian Lillard, who just has swagger out the wazoo, up he, the wazoo. He might start rapping at the table. He may. Another wild card who people might not think of, Chris Kamen's going to be there. That guy just has no filter. He's wacky. Let's go. Let's go to dinner. Yeah, I think Kamen. Yeah, go ahead, Laura. Chris Chris Kamen probably has a lot of stories. He might bring a deer to the to the dinner. I was gonna say Kamen will probably want a lot of meat at the dinner, so you're gonna have to be a, a good host in that regard. I think the Miami Heat would be fascinating. Luel Dang, he's done a lot of great humanitarian work, and he has a very interesting background. Hassan Whiteside is an up-and-coming young player who really barely got any minutes in Sacramento, and he's just exploded onto the scene with Miami, is a great defender. And I think he'd have fascinating things to talk about in regard to his quick development as a player. He's pretty outspoken, too. He called out Draymond Green er earlier this summer on Twitter. Yeah, he's he's an opinionated guy. Amare Stoudemire could talk to us about the Phoenix Suns, the run-and-gun Suns with Steve Nash and, and Sean Marion and all those exciting teams in Phoenix. Dwayne Wade, he's married to Gabrielle Union. They're friends with President Obama and the First Lady Michelle Obama. And they've just done a lot of exciting things in the community. Chris Bosh, he's been through a lot over the last year. Just really struggled um, with the blood clot. And um, now he says he's 100% healthy and everything. I won't go through the whole entire roster. There's a lot of other fascinating guys, but for that reason, uh, um, I'm confident that the Heat would be fun to hang around with for a night. Yeah, Chris Bosh, possibly the funniest guy in the NBA. Uh, yeah, underrated in that regard. Next question. What is your favorite NBA pop culture appearance, either current or past player or personality? Aaron? I'm going with Malik Seeley, rest in peace, the former Clipper and Timberwolf, who was very close friends with Kevin Garnett back in the day. He played Stacey Patton in Eddie, where Whoopi Goldberg was the head coach of the New York Knicks. He was a prima donna, and they needed to bring Stacey Patton's mother over um, to the to the basketball court, the playground over there, to get him in line so he could start listening to his coach, Stacey Patton, just a problem guy, but they got him in line, and Malik Seely did a great job in the role. Joshua, Stacey, what about you? Stacy Patton spoke in the first person. The, the player I'm going with um, does not speak in the first person, nor does the, the character that he played. Jeremy Lin. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jeremy Lin. Um, I know it, it did not work out with him on the Rockets. It definitely didn't work out with him on the Lakers. But his appearance on Fresh Off the Boat certainly did work for me. I love that show. I think it's hilarious. He played a factory worker, and he played it well. He only delivered one line, but it was a great line. Yeah, Fresh Off the Boat actually supplying a lot of NBA references. We got Shaq appearing in one episode, Scottie Pippen last season. Yep. A strange fount of 
basketball pop culture. Yeah, and and cameos too, not just references, but there are tons of references throughout the show because the protagonist, the the kid Eddie, is a huge basketball fan growing up in the 90s in Orlando. Yeah, on the NBA beach, sponsored by Fresh Off the Boat. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of players getting money from them. If we are, I haven't seen any of it yet. (laughs) Okay, last question. Which NBA player, coach, or personality would you hire as your personal stylist? Joshua, take this one. Aaron mentioned this guy before in his dinner party response. I'm going with D. Wade. That guy is fly. He's fresh. He never looks bad when he goes out in public. I want him dressing me up. Aaron? First, I was thinking Walt Clyde Frazier. He just oh. has so much swag and That's style. Like swag. Yeah, as a player and still as a broadcaster. But I'm going with Russell Westbrook. He's a style icon. He has his own clothing line. He does a lot of innovative things, T-shirts, backpacks. He's changed the game a little bit. And I don't know if it exactly matches my style or even close, but I think that he would be flexible enough to see what works for me. Uh, In contrast to the prevailing opinion of Russell Westbrook, I think that he would have patience with me. And I think that we could uh, collaborate together in a a really uh, fruitful way. I don't know, Aaron. I don't know about that. It's a pretty ambitious pick, Aaron, but I think you can pull it off. (laughs) Thank you. Plus, Wade wears too many hats, so I couldn't pick Dwayne Wade. I don't do that. (laughs) It's it's true. Not a hat guy. (laughs) Okay, I think that's our show. You can find more episodes of On the NBA Beat at our website, onthenbabeat.com, or searching for us on iTunes. If you want to give us your opinion on any topic, you can tweet us at On the NBA Beat, or you can send us an email at contact at On the NBA Beat. You get the idea. For Aaron and Joshua, I'm Lauren Lee Chen, and thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>